Hi, I'm Thor Von Clemson. Welcome to the Thor Von Clemson Advanced Fast Hand Finger Wizard Masterclass. Get ready to rock and roll. 48 minutes of dog barking. 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 Growl. So yeah, we do have to address the elephant in the room. The queen is dead. Is there a Morrissey song about that? And folks, <laughs> uh, folks, you might be noticing we sound a little different. We're actually coming to you live from live. the Kyle Rittenhouse Cultural Center in Venezuela, <laughs> where I have successfully defended my thesis that Piccolo is canonically black. They are very upset and chasing us out. And um, you may notice a dip in quality as we get far enough away. <laughs> we get far eyes. enough away. I, I've I've got just like a one of those Tascam field recorders with phantom power, <laughs> and we're currently on a bus and the bus driver he's he's yes he's signaling us for us to get he's yep. telling us to go back to the mob oh god oh hey oh boy okay so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do some <laughs> do some thinking here all right so uh first and foremost welcome to a, another edition of 48 minutes of dogs barking my name is jason this is brian alongside with me for the ride the uh the mini mandingo the Mini Mandingo. That's what I was going to say. Yes, Jeez. thank you. Yeah, that was our, <laughs> that was our sign off last time. Yeah, we've uh, we decided we're going to do this in person. See if maybe we can get a little bit of that old magic uh, going tonight. And we're talking about something a little weird. We're talking about well, a whole bunch of shit. But first, the news. The Queen is dead. The Queen is dead. Uh, she shit out her doo doo ass. <laughs> she died. Uh, she I, died I have. I have lived. doing a genocide. I have reports that she was watching her favorite movie, Jerry Maguire, <laughs> and uh, she was slowly mouthing along with all of the dialogue. But unfortunately, one of the royal grandchildren accidentally switched the uh, audio to Spanish, and her vials just spiked from there. <laughs> See, my understanding was that she ran out of adrenochrome. And she could no longer sustain her vital forces. So maybe we're getting conflicted reports. Could have been, could have happened at the same time. Who knows? You know, it's really hard to say. Um, we probably won't know for a while. No. Uh, they're too busy um, stuffing her body full of eels <laughs> for the bonfire. I don't know what British people do. <laughs> the British people are an enigma, just like the Italians and people that don't like pork steak. I come from a long line of Irish people, so... Uh, yeah, same. Come on, shake like and tans. Come on, and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you want brothers down the Flanders. Speaking of come out and fight me like a man, Brian, have you heard about what's happening at the Cannes Film Festival? Florence Poe uh, still hasn't put a collar on me and dragged me around all the filthiest parts of town. Right. That's pretty much all I know. Uh, didn't, um... Some other uh, incredibly attractive man spit on another incredibly attractive man, but there wasn't a watermark in the corner of the footage. Honestly, I don't know exactly what happened. I just know that this movie that they're make that they're doing all this for uh, it's called Don't Worry, Darling. And all that I know is that I think, and this is where I'm going to get my tinfoil hat on. I mentioned Adrenochrome earlier. Uh -huh. I've been digging deep on this. I think Don't Worry, Darling is a psyop. 
Oh. <laughs> I'm getting brace-brained. I'm getting Liz-pilled. I'm saying that, that the whole thing, because the critics have savaged this movie yeah. in, in, the, in the couple of days that it's been available, and they've said it's terrible. And the only reason people are talking about it, in my mind, is that they've done all these publicity stunts for it, including the fake spitting. So I think it's going to be a, a shit show, a tire, uh, you know, a... Uh, some kind of fire. You know, you, you fire. think you think if there's one place where you're not going to pull any punches when it comes to spitting on another man's body, it's the Cannes Film Festival. I was thinking of that other movie that they did made a big deal about that uh, Italian movie where the boys want to fuck each other. What the hell is that? Movie Call about? me by your name. There we go. I still haven't seen that. Um, I've I heard there's something about uh, coming a peach. Again, I, I still haven't seen it, but I, my understanding is that, yeah. That it's it gets, very horny it and meaningful. Horny. Like all French films, there's a lot of French films where it's like, wow, this is a really, really horny film that also gets to like the marrow of the human condition, which sometimes just means you're retired for busting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes this next part uh, really hard to, to get to. So... If you've seen the movie Nope, you and I were talking about this earlier. We'll get to Nope later. We'll talk sure. about that later in the show. But but uh, there's been a meme making the rounds, and it's the LGBTQ community has forgiven Jean Jacket. So <laughs> Jean Jacket did nothing wrong. Jean Jacket is innocent. Free my free my man, Jean Jacket. <laughs> and also something that I noticed online this week. That's right, folks. The Jews are at it again. Oh, no. Uh, now, it, according to... They did what? <laughs> so there was an image being passed around of an American football player and a cheerleader making out. It apparently was shot on, like, the old... the. Um, I can't remember. Somebody, somebody. The quote is like, you know, "This is this is like the tradition, and uh, yeah. you know, it is it's this weird nostalgia for a, a, a world that didn't really exist outside of um, John Hughes media. Movies. John like, Hughes, movies. yeah, I guess John Hughes movies. You know, like the high school sweetheart, the, the quarterback kissing mm-hmm. his uh, cheerleader girlfriend, and you know, like whatever. That is what it is. Um, but it's what the feelings and the attention that people put upon it that's really uncomfortable, right? Um, and weird. And what do you? Uh, I'm sorry, Jason. What did the what did the <laughs> the children of Abraham have to do with this? Well, apparently, someone took the original image, devoid of the context of oh, isn't this a thing that you can never have, and it's a void in your soul. And then they just put the phrase, the Jews took this from you. Oh, I, ain't, I don't remember that part. <laughs> oh. Uh, what bad. exactly did the Jews take from me? I was a nerd in high school. I couldn't have had either one of those things. Yeah, I'm just going to be really honest with you, Jason. Mm. I had no problem getting topped off in high school, despite being probably one of the most hated kids. <laughs> so um, your mileage may vary on yeah. your nostalgia for a life never lived. Right. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, speak speak for yourself, right? Yeah, I was gonna say the only time I came near hand stuff was uh, once I was in college. But anyway, hand stuff. <laughs> Were you a child? <laughs> Are you yeah, my coworker? Kinda was. Yeah, kind of was. Yeah, uh, uh, that's uh, that's upsetting. Um, yeah. the, why you, from... why do you have to bring? The... Wholesome Americana to the Jews did this. Hold the fucking phone. (laughs) They did. Where do you? They did what? Right. They did what? They took what? What do you mean? So it's just one of those inscrutable things that started making the rounds again. And you start to go, okay, and? You know, the the Jews took it from you. Okay. 
fuck so, do you mean? And then, and then I have a further question is, well, what the fuck are you going to do about it if they did? Like, it, where's right. your call to action? Because now you just sound pathetic. And I'm not saying uh, you should do something anti-Semitic or anything like that. But it's like that is so much of that thought where it's like, OK, you're complaining about it re- regardless of what you're arguing. But what? Are you ever going to do anything about it? Are you, you know, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, at least put your money where your mouth is. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to, you know, um, burn down, uh, like a high school senior portrait studio or something. But if those still existed, they would be in some real danger right about the, now. Yeah. the one I went to in high school is the strip mall that it's in, in North County is completely abandoned. It, I think the whole entire strip mall is, is gone. And so is the steak and shake that was in the in the parking lot, which I, which that part's not so surprising because I don't think there are there's like three steak and shakes left right. in St. Louis. Yeah. So so what the fuck? Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and my last thing about like what happened on the internet this week is that um, a Reddit user complains that his girlfriend or his longtime girlfriend was really tired of the music on his sex playlist. Now. I don't understand the sex playlist. That's number one. Oh, you you don't have one? You don't partake in the activity? No, I I I fuck. I just mean like I don't <laughs> I don't have I mean one. I mean it, there's really there's it's either silence or Maxine by Tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two things you can fuck to. If you're going to choose music to fuck to, Tricky is probably your best bet. Him mm-hmm. and Massive Attack, that's pretty much it. Uh, but no, I, I I think the last time I had sex to music was in like 2004. So, you know, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, well, see, my apartment has really thin walls. Ah. So when I was with my ex, she was a very loud person. Mm. And so I would be like blasting like burial or fortet. <laughs> The the story go, I'm trying to remember this all because I'm still trying to like really process it because it's still sure is so fresh in my mind and I'm still really still trying to get over it. There's a guy who goes on Reddit and says my girlfriend is tired of my sex playlist in particular one song. Okay, what's the song? The song is Seabat by Scottish producer Hudson Mohawk, and it is quite possibly one of the worst songs to fuck to. All right. Well, the long and short of it is that it makes uh, it, it's a bunch of squonky, weird sounds, and it makes like it sounds. So like, it's like dubstep, or it's like uh, yeah. like uh, one of the lesser appreciated Apex Twin songs. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. It sounds like, uh, in someone's estimation, uh, robot dolphins is one. Oh, said, yeah. yeah I, you can't really get your bone onto that. You Apparently, know, this guy can and has for the past two years. Two years? That's impressive. I have to yeah. kind of switch it up. So, when I first started using Spotify, like, ten years ago, um, I did make a sex playlist, and um, it was 20 tracks, and they all were Return to Innocence by Enigma. <laughs> <laughs> we fucked to this and nothing else. That's <laughs> right. If you don't like it, babe, you can hit the bricks. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> 
in this house, we fucked the 90s new wave transcendental music or nothing. Enya, Orinoco flow, or you get the fuck out. Christ almighty. You brought the Dust Brothers into this house? I don't even know you anymore. Big beat? I'm a big beat your ass. <laughs> this drawing bass stuff, I just don't get it. You know, I'm more of a first wave jungleist at heart. I can handle a little bit of house music while I got my smart drugs, but <laughs> but this, this is just beyond the fucking pale. Happy Mondays. You got till happy fucking Monday to get your shit and leave. You know. That's about all I got. I I feel bad. My brother was a huge fucking EDM electronic music nerd in the 90s and actually did a lot of 90s rave shit here in St. Louis. And my knowledge of that music is so fucking sparse. But um, it's enough to make some cracking jokes on your uh, why is Akista... Just using uh, the old guy down the block who uh, puts his Haggah slacks right above his navel. fuck was that? I don't know. Dang kids. Well, because we were... Dang kids are messing around (laughs) with with the shed of knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, when I was on the way in, your friends were, like, asking... uh, what the podcast was about and i was like early <laughs> early internet culture kind of and they're like uh oh like aol and i'm like at some point maybe <laughs> and I'm like i'm like well the thing we're probably going to talk about today and like we'll get to yeah that's that's really the main topic of the program yeah but the main topic but uh they seem thoroughly confused <laughs> and i was like well we're, we're also racist a lot too <laughs> <laughs> only against the british what's the crypto scam of the week crypto scam of the week comes to us courtesy of our twitter user friend nft herder and it is about a group of people that called themselves rug pull finder uh, can you imagine what it would take for a group to call themselves Rug Pull Finder and then for them to create an NFT project. Well, that's kind of uh, gassing yourself up. Just a you touch. Know, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. There have been more than a few projects. I'm just like, I don't know anything about this, but just like the little bit you've told me, there's been more than a few projects that have kind of had that general aim of like, we are trying to find authentic contracts with no nefarious code and people that are at least earnest and what they're trying to do on the blockchain. Not necessarily uh, being successful, but they are not trying to willfully be malicious. And um, one of those entities was called War on Rugs, Mm -hmm. and they made a competitive token to SafeMoon, which was one of the big darlings of 2021. Um, And I forget what their equivalent token was called. Fuck me. But uh, the guy from... War on rugs just end up rugging, rugging that uh, project and and stealing a shit ton of money and uh, just like the irony was just so rich that this guy who who really picked apart projects and actually I think probably more than a few times really nailed like hey you don't want to buy this token because these people have launched all these other rugs or whatever mm-hmm. ended up just you know selling out and I think it's parting. Uh, message was something along the lines of like, yeah, fuck it, I'm done. I'm just going to take the money and go home. Jesus Christ. So, Rugpull Finder was set up to expose fraud, scams, 
hacks in the NFT space. You know, the stuff we talk about. Yeah. They did audits for projects and smart contracts. So they decided, in their infinite wisdom, to to create their own NFT project, Bad Guys. I heard about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, Bad Guys was poorly written. And according to OK Hotshot, a.k.a. at NFT Herder, mm-hmm. and I'm quoting here, today's rug pull finders NFT contract was abused to mint 400 NFTs instead of the expected one per wallet. Ooh. So the uh, mint function missing required checks. They're missing the gas optimizations. Not technically a hack, but an exploit. Right, yeah. Someone abusing the code to a means which was not intended by the creator or the team behind it. They apparently reviewed this with three different dev teams and yet wound up with the shit code. They then publicly said... And I'm quoting here, an exploit was shared with us 30 minutes before Mint went live. After reviewing it with three different dev teams, we did not believe the credibility of the information sent to us. We were clearly wrong and are truly sorry. Rugpull Finder announced they had reached an agreement with the people who gamed the Mint and would buy back the 366 NFTs the duo still held for 2.5 ETH, roundabouts for grand USD. That's pretty amazing and that's mm-hmm. not uncommon for uh people that hack contracts and mm-hmm. destabilize a uh project like that um to for the team to be like hey uh if you give back like 75 percent of that we'll call it even right yeah i mean we've talked about that before where it's it's almost like a bounty it's almost yeah. like they're, they're just like yeah let's uh, sure what I, you know what honor system <laughs> and nine times out of ten, that that person that that exploited or pushed through um, will send back, and and you know, um, which I guess good on them. Like it's, I guess it's a weird thing because it's everyone's putting their fucking money into it. I guess, and uh, you know, I guess it's the idea that like, well, I shouldn't fuck over the hundred or so people or a thousand people there in this project so much but the people who the team behind it uh need to fucking pay up in their own way but there's also the theory that a lot of these projects that have these exploits or these hacks it's an inside job yeah that's uh, a common theory um and uh i've seen a few where it kind of feels like yeah seems really convenient that this project that's been audited by Certex and like other verify other auditors that are credible um, all of a sudden that this hack that's been there in this eight month old project all of a sudden oh uh, 40 ETH you know has just been tornado cached yes gone and, you know huh that seems really convenient and then all of a sudden the team is like oh well you know this really just <laughs> this project is no longer viable and we just don't have faith with the tokenomics in this current climate so we're going to give you a week to uh unstake your tokens or whatever <laughs> and uh you know yeah. so it becomes like a bank run for the remaining liquidity uh which is also like not a good way to run a project not optimal no i would imagine yeah (laughs) so 
Oh, that's fucked. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, NFTs, I think there's only one project I've seen recently that has actually seemed to be successful, and that's Utes, Y00TS. Okay. That's the only thing I've seen that doesn't seem like fucking hot fucking garbage. <laughs> um, everything else is still fucking uh, a, a fucking pickle jar full of piss. <laughs> and it's just, I feel like outside of crypto punks and board uh api club there's really only a handful of nfts is as far as like speculation goes that don't seem to be completely shitty um there's still uh carbon intense jpegs they're burning down the amazon um so i still don't think there's any like real net good here but if you are uh, a betting man I don't know. I feel like horse races are still pretty good. You know what? I'll go to the track versus uh, versus. Pool. I really, I really want to go back to Vegas and go to like one of the fucking horse track rooms and just like see a sweaty dude and like uh, a fucking windbreaker <laughs> and like a hat for a place he's never been to. Yeah, like just you know. Muscle Shoals, like that dude has never been. <laughs> yeah. That guy, he's hurting. He's, he's he's never been like beyond the two square blocks of the casino that he's sitting in. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just just holy shit! Just like, uh, have you been? To, I'm sorry. This is this, no. It's have part, you been to Vegas? I have. Yeah, I love. I've been there once, mm-hmm. and I just loved people watching. Oh yeah. And like the the one thing that like I picked up because we stayed at the MGM okay. Grand and uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. But um, I just remember walking around with my friend and seeing like dudes that looked like they were just plucked out of the middle of nowhere, like Idaho or like <laughs> Iowa. Um, just seeing like their first. It seemed like they just saw like their first legitimately hot woman in their whole entire life. Like they just been they've been just like fucking drinking hams and like working at the truck depot their home they were born in the truck depot and they yeah. thought they were gonna die there yep. but turns out their granny had a little bit of money and they said you know what what if we go to vegas <laughs> and i it was just kind of fun like walking around on a saturday night just having like a beer in hand and seeing like a dude like in buffalo red plaid just like head on a swivel for like a hot woman but like yeah it's vegas you will see attractive people quite consistently everywhere everywhere and so uh it was just like really bizarre like you'd be like walking these dudes would like stop and it's just (laughs) like you've have you never seen a a woman with fake tits and like cheek implants before clearly not no no i guess wherever you come from that's just a dream Mm -hmm. but here in vegas baby Mm. everything's a reality indeed it is yeah uh, when i was there that was about Gosh, I want to say 13 years ago, right before my kids were born, we were there for a friend's wedding, and we stayed at the Bellagio with the fountains. Very nice. Uh, gorgeous place. Right up the street from pretty much everything. And there was just so much happening, and I think I... God. I think I stumbled home every night to the to the hotel room every mm-hmm. night. Uh, just, just absolutely uh, tanked on the booze. But that was because I played the you know the quarter slots and sat there for hours. <laughs> and then the, the the lady comes by and is like, uh, "Would you like a beer there, darling?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure, whatever you got." And of course, they they didn't have 
you know, they didn't have old style. They didn't have hams. They didn't have strows. They didn't have. I felt know. like the fanciest thing I got comp to me was like Amberbach, mm-hmm. and I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Just, fine. just keep them coming. Serviceable. Gets the job done. It's not. Yeah, not Amberbach. Bad. It, Amberbach is like the high school dropouts fancy beer. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Oh, speaking of beer, can we get a quick can check? Uh, Brian, what do you got going on over there? I'm drinking a hams because my school... I'm drinking a hams uh, because the school shooter uh, IPA that I brought, uh, I accidentally dropped it when I walked down here because I was like, because you're talking about like, oh, there's kind of a, a little bit of smell going on because of sewer things and all that. Uh, and long story. Long, long story. story. And I had brought like a candle that I had and when I uh, pulled it out of the bag, it fell into the ground and went everywhere and so did the, uh, so the, the beer can. <laughs> and I just like felt like the dumbest guy in the world. I was like, I'm just a fucking... I'm stupid. Like, well, from what I understand, you've been on one. You've had a bit of a, a bit of a week. I have had. It's been. It's a bit of a life. But, <laughs> but when you're talking about Vegas, uh, just lots of things happening in Vegas. Uh, part of the reason we stayed at the MGM Grand was because they had like a little corner by their uh, auditorium, like where um, they have concerts, like mm-hmm. AEW and all that. Oh, yeah. um, it's like the old school games. Like it's kind of like an arcade for adults, but they had something called Sigma Derby, which is this old Japanese um, gambling machine that's like four or five ten horses on a track, and oh, you bet on. Seen this? Yeah. Oh, dude! Sigma, like I met the coolest. We met the coolest people playing Sigma Derby, and they would come by for like ten minutes, and they'd just be like, "Oh, I heard about this," and like <laughs> it was like. It was like ha- it was like going to like a park with like a iguana on your shoulder, like just people just like, oh, what's up, what's up with this? And you're like, yeah. oh, and you're like you uh, you put quarters in this machine, and then these little tin horses go around, and sometimes you win, and they're just like, I'm in. But one of the nights, uh, we were just kind of chilling out, and we we're just sitting around playing Sigma Derby, talking to people, drinking comped beers. And the auditorium was right across the way from us. And there was this huge line. We asked, like, uh, one of the, the ladies giving us the beer. It's like, hey, what's what's up with that line? Who is that? And she's like, oh, that's uh, Tiesto or whatever. Oh, Tiesto. Tiesto, yeah, yeah, the Swedish guy. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking, that's fucking funny. And it was weird because, like, it's all young kids. Mm-hmm. And this is early mid-March. And they all are dressed like they're going to, like, prom at the My Chemical Romance High School. Yes. And My it, was, people. it was just so weird. And we kind of got to a point where, we're like, I feel a little peckish. We should go to the um, Shake Shack at oh, yeah. New York, New York, across the way. And so we got up, and I just remember seeing, like, all these girls and what looked like prom dresses just like passed out in the airlock and it's like their friends have given up on checking on them and i'm like i'm just kind of like i'm like uh uh sh- she's laying on her side she's cool like, i'm just like i'm i'm like i don't i don't really want to be involved in this is not this. my problem this is distinctly not my problem this is i don't want to make this my problem but um yeah. but yeah that was that was a thing that happened yeah and uh i mean vegas is it's just everything America is about, yeah, but excess. doesn't want to admit, yeah, excess. Just absurdity, spectacle, yeah. uh, excess for sure. It's just I'm not a particularly materialistic person. I don't need to have my fucking brain stimulated all the time. But like Vegas was just a trip, just 
not even for myself, but just like watching other people just freak the fuck out over like seeing an LCD board that's like 50 feet tall and you're just like, yeah, and you can call that girl and she'll come over and give you a handy J. <laughs> and like, just, I don't know. I just thought it was just an interesting space um, from many perspectives. That's that's as Vegas, baby. That's Vegas, baby. Yeah, the one thing that really sticks out to me from Vegas that my time there was the guys with the cards. You know these guys. They're standing on the street corner, actually lined up down by the taxi stand, and they're flicking these cards. <laughs> flicking these cards. Well, the cards are for the girls that will come up and give you the hand job. Yeah. But, but they're just standing there. They got a duffel full of these cards, and they're just sitting there flicking them at you. Click, 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 yeah. as you're walking by. So it creates this weird, so there's a sound bit to it. There's all the uh, the lights are everywhere. And then you go inside the casino, and it's another assault. Like, it was really overwhelming if you really want to get down I, to it. I remember walking down the strip and just seeing, like, the sidewalk just covered. And, like, they were all just kind of, like, stomped into the ground. And it's like, um, come call, you know, this number, and Candy Hysterectomy will come over <laughs> and uh, let you show her what that asshole do. <laughs> Hopefully not inventing any, uh, you know, Mount Olive jars. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I have, I have a friend, uh, she was a exotic dancer yeah. in Vegas. And when we did go to Vegas, I did consult her like, you know, places to go that maybe like locals would, would go to and stuff sure. like that. And she gave some really good recommendations, but the only thing she ever really told me about being a dancer in Vegas, I recall off the top of my head, is that she gave a lap dance to Ben Kingsley. You know, the guy that played Gandhi? <laughs> Sir Ben Kingsley. Sir Get Ben right. Kingsley, yes. He's been knighted. And uh, it was really uncomfortable. And he had lots of young men with him. That's uh, that's all I really remember about it was just like, and I don't know if there's, there was really no other context. It was just like, it's just Ben Kingsley being Ben Kingsley and then just like young guys. And I don't know if there was anything going on, but it's like, yeah, I don't know if I would want to be in the room that could be described as me, Ben Kingsley and a bunch of young dudes that he brought with him. Like that just doesn't sound like my scene in any assumption of what that could be that, like yeah that sounds sinister that sounds like there's a problem that's about to be had between you or many of those other people i don't know why i don't know it why just does, i just you know what like this is the odds of this being good aren't really in anyone's favor yeah <laughs> like i'm really the odd man out but yeah vegas vegas baby. vegas baby yeah uh and the fucking desert's cool and all that but um yeah, I think the best thing I saw in Vegas was uh, we did we did do a Cirque du Soleil show. So we actually we we fronted out a couple bucks and went to do the one where they're all it's it's uh, the one where they're all animals. Is I think it's zoo something or other. It's uh, I have furry joke, but oh, uh, couldn't get a, couldn't get could, the bat off your shoulder. Couldn't get that one off. I uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't yiff that that first Ryan. <laughs> You're in my house, God damn it. All right, so. <laughs> so. Are you going to do wrestle me? That would make an interesting 30 minutes left of the show. <laughs> Just two guys. Two sweaty, two, overweight two guys. guys. Two, hey, man. I, I got a uh, an orange belt in judo. I'd be up on some kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got a black belt. I'm wearing it right now. What the fuck you mean? <laughs> 
I worked with a guy that was so paranoid about uh, self-defense. They actually had a belt with a belt buckle that was designed to be like a blackjack. <laughs> like, had like a lead weight in it. And I'm just like... And we talked to us about taking the bus to work and uh, like all the weirdos and stuff because St. Louis has very bad public transportation. So you kind of, unfortunately, it's not like... San Francisco or New York, where it's a cross section of everyone in the city, it's unfortunately kind of geared towards like working class and lower. And, um, and he would just be like, Yeah, I just had like pull a knife out on a guy outside the South County Mall. And I'm like, Why are you in the South? County? You don't live anywhere near. Like, how do you like? And I'm thinking, like, Where we work, where South County Mall is and where he lives. I'm like, how is that working? He's like, that's just how fucked up the bus lines are here. And I'm like, oh, so why'd you pull a knife on that guy? He's like, he wouldn't stop talking to me. (laughs) And I'm thinking about like St. Louis, how people can be aggressive in St. Louis. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, and you can see like a cop, like a cop taking down your statement. It's like that dude just wouldn't stop talking. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he just kept trying to be like, "Hey, what bus should I get on to get such and such?" And uh, he just wouldn't look at the app. And so <laughs> he kept saying he needed to get to the VA and he needed five bucks. Yeah. You know? <sighs> yeah. Oh wow! Crack him! Crack him! Cracking them open. I got one beer at my right leg. I got one beer at my left. I'm really living the dream he here. Is. Yeah, he's sitting in, in my favorite chair as well. So it's he does have chair. the seat of honor. Yeah. I do have the seat of honor because I'm here. You are. I'm here and it's beautiful. Indeed. So let's talk about our main subject. Let's do it. Which I have not prepared to really talk about at length <laughs> because my life has been... I, I, I didn't. I didn't even really... The time off of work, I had to get to my apartment real quick, clean up, and then come over here. I don't think I sat the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So this is the first time I've really had to sit and collect myself. But So the one of the things I wanted to talk about, because we've been kind of talking about memes and kind of niche cultural things, which are very interesting, I think are important to uh, discuss, you know, either straight face or with a sense of humor. And one of the things when we... Or when I spoke with Jason about um, doing this podcast, is I wanted to talk about things that are kind of a little bit deeper, and um, not just talking about uh, long face motherfuckers and um, texts from Bennett, and, you know, and um, Dan Quinn, which is the unreleased episode. I think the two times we've done Fat Man, <laughs> we did <laughs> Fat Man twice. twice. Yeah. I think the third time is going to be the yeah. charm. There, once we get that down. We'll be. Fine. <laughs> it's like one of those things. Like once we record an episode about Fat Man that's worth listening to, the podcast is going to be over. It's over for you, bitches. That's <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to talk about deeper things yeah. um, sometimes and talking about how the internet has gone from this really optimistic space for a lot of people, the early adopters of the internet, to just like this corporate space where kind of sometimes no one wins. Yeah. It's sometimes kind of a zero sum game. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I kind of just pitch this to Jason because I thought it would be a little different than what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. What I wanted to talk about was Olga, the online guitar archive, which was one of the first and probably the most popular guitar tablature website uh, on the internet uh, during its time of existence. You know, most people now, if they want guitar tabs, they'll go like Ultimate Guitar or something, but yeah. 
Olga was kind of the fucking... That's how I learned to play a lot of songs when I was learning how to play guitar. That's how I think a lot of people did. So it was just really kind of people coming around, submitting. It was a lot of user-created content. And this was, like, kind of, for me, one of the first times, like, oh, the internet's cool because, like, people can just have, like, hey, you want to be creative or you want to share knowledge with people, here is a portal for it. Here is a website dedicated to it. But unfortunately, during most of his existence, Olga was threatened by, uh, like, I think Columbia Records was one of them. And EMI. an EMI uh, for uh, copyright infringement and EMI Columbia and I'm sure there's others that have, have thrown their hat into this and what was the the organization I'm sorry that eventually sorry uh, Harry Fox Agency Harry Fox Agency yeah they're, they're, they they do a lot of stuff for songwriting and for music musician credits across the globe I've had to deal with them uh, fairly recently when a song that I put out as part of a, re- a record that I'd made uh, contained a piece of Summer Lovin' um, <laughs> from the musical Grease, and we had to clear it with the Harry Fox Agency uh, based on the number of copies sold. Uh, so I had to pay them what amounted to basically my entire profit from uh, the, the project, the 30 records that I sold out of 100 that I made. Uh, so, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, it was not fun. Yeah, and it's um, and I wonder how much of that money went back to the posers, the creators, people that were involved in the creation of that music. Because um, probably none of it. Yeah, I, ima- it, I imagine it went straight to the rights holders, which is Harry Fox Agency and no one else. Yeah, so it, this is this is where you know you can get into the the libertarian or sometimes a very left thinking or left-held opinion the intellectual property rights are just another way for corporations to extract value from individuals and uh so olga was this great thing you know there's probably thousands if not tens of thousands of people that really got to benefit from it musically or creatively um that's how i learned how to be a, a snot-nosed 15 year old and play a bunch of Marilyn manson songs and international noise conspiracy thong- songs uh thongs songs international noise conspiracy thongs does put a great image in my head though because <laughs> the fans of that band wearing thongs that's just a paints a picture yeah you know it's funny i think i've only ever met like three other people in real life that know who that band is well i do because i was a big refused fan so that that became a whole thing yeah you know it's always funny i had uh, i knew a guy who used to always say like oh they were just like a big uh ripoff of um the dude from chain the gang his okay. his hardcore band dc hardcore band from the early 90s i was like oh they're just a ripoff of that and i was confused and i realized that probably that that guy I knew misspoke and meant to say the makeup because I feel like the makeup and the international international noise conspiracy are very similar projects. Uh, I would probably say that international noise conspiracy is better, but the makeup is probably I think more uh, tied to the original ethos of what their project was supposed to be. The gentleman behind Chain and the Gang was in the makeup. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. So. yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, Ian. I don't, how do you say that man's name? Goodness, I have no idea. Svenius. Svenius. You know, I'm going on a tangent here, and I'll just keep digging deep, deeper Sorry. and deeper. I got to take his photo one time. <laughs> it was right after Ferguson. Oh goodness! I tried talking to him about it, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like they're 
pepper spraying people. They got the dogs out. It just looks the cops are completely militarized. It just kind of looks like the end of America. And he just kind of looked at me and goes, the end of America has been coming for a long time. And I'm like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> you know, like here's this guy that's supposed to be like one of the, the like the Noam Chomsky of weird punk funk guys i don't know if you can hear it but i rolled my eyes so hard i think i hurt myself yeah i don't know i think i think he's made a lot of good music and i think he's a very interesting musician but that was kind of the one interaction i've had with that human being as he roams this earth was a little uh disappointing i got a great photo out of it and i appreciate that he took a couple moments with me yeah um you know from a personal standpoint but a personal standpoint i was like man uh, these answers could use some work <laughs> and uh yeah but so but anyways back to olga yeah so this is a situation where there was another organization it was not the riaa it was a RHAA or something like that. The NPMA. NPMA. Sorry, the, the National Music Publishers Association. So, not for the songwriters themselves, but for those who publish the songs. And this is where we get into that weird copyright shit because every time you do a piece of copyrighted music in public, there's actually two people or two groups that get a cut. Yeah. There's the people who recorded it uh-huh. which are represented by the big ones which would be bmi ascap those are the two big ones yeah and then there's publishing slash mechanical rights let's say if you brian are doing jeff buckley's cover of leonard cohen's hallelujah uh-huh. okay so first of all bmi ascap each get two cuts one for buckley one for cohen mm-hmm. then they get a cut for the buckley version that goes to the group of publishers mm-hmm. so so performance rights and mechanical rights you get double dipped on and then sometimes if you're covering a cover you get triple dipped on i've heard this yeah you uh you explained this much nicer than the time the dude from soul coughing explained <laughs> it uh when i sat in on a khx interview that he did he uh his, his, the way he explained it was uh scary yeah. <laughs> like, it was the mood and the room changed and uh the dude from oh, was were, it mike or was it yabo gabe the drummer it was mike mike Doty. Okay. uh mike Doty, uh who is an incredible musician not a dude i would want to be uh like share a bus seat with yeah i mean if you if you read his book the book of drugs you'll i, I would come to that same conclusion uh yeah i've got i've i got this i got the photograph of khx in studio with him that was fucking amazing and i've got to see him perform the first soul coughing record uh at blueberry hill in like 2019 and that was fucking amazing he is a real don't meet your heroes kind of situation <laughs> with that guy uh very very interesting musician but anyways yeah so so olga got they got got by god damn and the mpa3 uh, the MPA three is let me pull this up here. Fantastic links. While while you're trying to get that to work, uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up because we're talking about like this isn't even necessarily go back to the not even the people that hold the rights sometimes right. yes. to the music, the copyright, or the people that perform the recording or people that are involved with the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked at Guitar Center when I was 18, I remember one of the members of uh, Story of the Year, which was like the biggest band in St. Louis, or from St. Louis at that time in 2004, came in, and I mean, 
I think we opened at like 11 and it was like 11.10. Like it was like that dude had to have been waiting in his car yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a little weird, but he came in. You know, said hi to him. I kind of knew who he was. And he went over to the accessories department. And he started like kind of looking around. He's chatting up who was opening that department that day. And then he bought a songbook. And uh, I worked the front door. That was my first job. Um, I was that person you hate that has to check your receipt. You know, so he like grabs the songbook and he kind of like walks to me in a huff and he knows the deal. I got to stamp his receipt. So I stamped the receipt and I realized like it's a songbook for Page Avenue, which is the debut album from Story of the Year. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I wonder why he was like in such a mood about it. And I ended up talking to a guy who was friends with him who also worked with me at Guitar Center and they were like, yeah, he was really pissed off because Maverick Records, who they were signed to at the time, just kind of did that behind their back. Oh, wow. See, and, I always thought those songbooks were, were authorized. You know, it could have been, you know, steeped deep in, like, some contract they signed mm-hmm. or some agreement. But they never, as far as I understand, uh, allegedly, allegedly never saw any money from that or never gave their blessing directly. Yes. Or knew they were giving their blessing. That is my understanding of the situation. Right. And and that goes back to the Music Publishers Association, supposedly. And again, this is all based on hearsay. It's supposedly a nonprofit. But for <laughs> so, who? Exactly. So Guys who have three houses? <laughs> right. So their position on tabs is really strange because the, the, the community, including Olga and many, many other sites, don't believe that tabs themselves infringe on copyright. And I happen to agree with that. I agree, too. I think tablature is simply a transcribing of something that exists. The tablature existing is not the copyright issue. It's the performance of it. It's the you know, Okay, I get that BMI and ASCAP want to get their money. Fine. That's why venues pay every year for that sort of thing. That's what that's yes, for. Yes, they do. But the idea that just writing down, and again, this is 1994 for Olga when they started, and they started on Usenet. Mm-hmm. So this is ASCII. This is characters on a screen, you know, being symbols and like doing. They're transcribing what they hear based on their existing musical knowledge. This isn't somebody ripping anything off this is in copyright terms that would be considered transformative in in my mind and so because it's transformative it would fall under fair use to me but apparently the publishers and all these other groups don't feel that way the mpa in particular are really pissy about tablature which i again don't understand to me it seems pretty cut and dry I think it's greed, and it's also squeezing everything out of intellectual property rights. And I think, uh, I mean, we've kind of gone over that, like, it's just bullying around people who kind of skirt traditional, you know, copyright uh, understandings. And, I mean, showing, it would be like trying to copyright the act of fishing. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Bassmasters guy are going to come after you for, for you know. Bass cap. Yeah. <laughs> BMI, but the B stands for Bassmasters. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's that type of thing. Like, we, okay, it's one thing to be able to reproduce it and play it. It's another thing to be able to hear it 
write it down and get it close enough to write to where someone yeah. else could play it. Because that's the thing about these tabs is they're not always accurate. They're not accurate and like, you know, um, sometimes on the right guitar tuning or they're not played in right. the right octave or, I mean, what's kind of neat now as a guitar nerd is if I want to learn a song and I don't want to go with tablature, like I can just go watch a video on YouTube and like kind of see where her, where their hands are at. And I can be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a power chord or that's a major chord. My ears are still decent enough. I can be like, Oh, is that the uh, second inversion or whatever? Or um, here's where the capo actually is. On Sure. The, yeah. You get a general idea. Like I've learned a couple of AJJ songs just by like watching Sean do the, quarantine shows that he was doing in 2020 uh so like you know that's just cool is uh you know some non-pris the mpaa or whatever they're fucking called they're gonna burst down my house for bust down my front door for learning how to play uh a queens of the stone age song from a youtube video apparently they are because come and come and fucking get it so in 2006, the MPA issued a statement in which they expand their position on websites that distribute, quote, unauthorized sheet music and tablature. The main points are as follows. The MPA members invest a significant amount into arranging, engraving, the fuck, editing, marketing, and distributing sheet music products. Engraving probably is just their term for the process of mastering. If I well, had to take a wild guess. But this is sheet music product. Sheet music. So Engraving. This is, so this is, I, I'm thinking so this that. This has nothing to do with performance or re- recording no, of a performance. This is strictly people who publish sheet music books. These are people who get paid when that Page Avenue book gets sold. Oh, these are the dirtiest dogs. The dirtiest dogs in town. The filthiest boys. Sharing the tabs is bad enough, it continues. But even worse is when sites make money off the illegal tabs. That's so fucking weird. <laughs> and it's weird because I have... It's grim, baby. I have a few tab songbooks. Yeah. And uh, I feel like they don't get as good as some of like the ultimate guitar tabs I've... No. It's an interpretation. I think the only one that only songbook I own that I feel is really accurate is the one I have for Beck's Sea Change, which I'm sure is like probably worth some ridiculous amount of money now <laughs> right. um but i've had some that i've gotten like free that were like pennied out like when i worked at guitar center and stuff of albums i thought that were fun i remember seeing a guitar player tablature like in the magazine for oh guitar world any of those magazines or, yeah they would have tablature but i wonder how they get away with that um they but i remember seeing they probably have a deal with mpa yeah I remember seeing a tablature for Dead Leaves in the Dirty Grounds by mm-hmm. the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I have always known how to play like that opening riff. And I remember watching Jack White do his shitty Beale Street uh, arrangement of White Stripes songs that he does now, which is a fucking war crime. Kissinger has yet to do anything I think that is such a travesty to mankind as what Jack White has done to old White Stripes songs while he's playing with these weird studio musicians. But watching how Jack White plays Dead Leaves in the Dirty Grounds is like I want to be like I, I'm watching his, his left hand and I'm like, this fucker doesn't know how to play his own song. 
<laughs> well, you know, I've always been and been uh, mad at Jack White for the whole uh, pretending his wife is his sister bit for the. You know, you know what? You know what? That's a whole entire <laughs> industry on uh, Pornhub. <laughs> so maybe you that was. Do you think that's what kickstarted it? You think it was the White Stripes? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Were you were you doing step brother husband slash yeah? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, step drummer? <laughs> I'm uh, stuck in the drum kit. Help! Oh God! I have a friend in high school, my best friends in high school, who I will not name out of courtesy. He's <laughs> yeah. a very nice professional job. He had a massive crush on Meg White. It was me. <laughs> I think a lot it's, of people. I me. mean. Just jugged up pacey women who what's not like they can play an instrument. Yeah, I mean, and and it's living the dream, baby. It's it's what everyone wants. It's what everyone deserves if they're worthy. And he was really in the Meg White, really in the White Stripes, and he dated a young woman when we were both around like nineteen or twenty, who kind of looked like a skinnier Meg White. <laughs> To the point, I think her real name was like Erica, but we all knew her in Meg. Yeah, we called her Meg. I thought you were fucking with me. No, no. Um, I actually. Wow. Can I? Yeah, please. Can I? Can I tell you a story, please? So, I grew up in North County, St. Louis, and North St. Louis County. And there was a neighborhood not too far from where I went to high school from called Carrollton, Mm. which was demolished uh, for an airport expansion that was planned in the 80s, was not finished until like 2007 or 2008. Yeah, right outside of Bridgeton, right? Yep, it's right outside of Bridgeton, yeah. Um, And by by the time that airport expansion was done... TWA no longer exists, and TWA was one of the big reasons. uh, St. Louis is a big hub for TWA, Trans World Airlines. St. Louis is... uh, I can't get into the granular here, but the cost of of going through St. Louis as a hub or a secondary hub for an airliner, the price had become uh, prohibitive compared to other cities of a similar size. So... There is a whole entire neighborhood in North St. Louis County that was destroyed for a landing strip, an airport strip that does not get used, basically. I have seen stealth fires on there, (laughs) and I have seen Air Force One. I think all the times I've flown in out of Lambert Airport, I've never been on that runway. And um, it's just probably one of the great, until I think the Del Mar Loop, trolley probably one of the greatest boondoggles in the st louis area as far as uh thing that does not need to exist but anyways one year uh new year's eve we knew a guy who knew a guy whose parents owned a house in Carrollton. it was like one like the last 20 houses still occupied in the neighborhood and it was going to be demolished like in a week or two and so this guy was like yeah my parents have moved out to the new house and you all can just come over for New Year's Eve and fuck this thing up. And that's kind of what happened. Like, uh, the girl that I was messing around with at the time, her brother was like a weird low-key drug dealer on the south side. <laughs> and he got into it with a guy I went to high school with who was a low-key dealer on North County. It was really It was like hardcore dudes with, like, snake bite piercings, like, getting into it with each other. But my friend... 
I drove there with him and his girlfriend Meg. Meg, Miss, Miss, <laughs> the the woman we we called Meg White. The Meg. and I watched my friend get absolutely shit house and drink like a twenty four pack of Milwaukee's Best by himself. <sighs> I like I didn't drink. I think like I think I had like a beer at the beginning of the evening, and it was just mostly me. The girl I was messing around with and like Meg just like hanging out and talking with people. And eventually he was just like so sloppy drunk. I was like, I think it's time to get you home, buddy. And uh, so I drove a back route up through Mo Bottoms, which is a road that's now closed for weird reasons, back to uh, Higher Shell and take him deep in the North County from where he lived. And we stopped at this gas station and it was that time where they started building gas stations where there was a back entrance and a front entrance. And now like, if you go to like a quick trip, there's like eight entrances. Um, it seems really scary to work there. Um, so he, you know, this is probably like one in the morning. He goes in through the back entrance and, uh, we can't really see anything, but, uh, I know he's like stumbling through that. Fuck. He's like, ah, piss. And like, okay, I really don't want to, pissing in my car and so me and erica or meg whatever her name was are just sitting there kind of like he's been in there for like five minutes and then the clerk kind of like comes and like looks out the window and we're like huh and then this shit you not a fucking fresh looking el camino pulls up right next to us And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it's Jack White. No, <laughs> it's a, it is a dwarf with a purple mohawk. No, come on, <laughs> come on. It's a dwarf with a purple mohawk. And he's got some smoke show in the passenger seat, <laughs> and like she kind of looks at us, and we wave at her, and she like waves back at us, and he goes in there, <laughs> and uh, we're like, huh? Well, I'm sure my drunk friend, wherever he's at, when he sees that, he's going react appropriately and a couple minutes later the clerk comes back to the door and locks the door Mm -hmm. and like frantically like slapping the locking mechanism at the top of the the uh automatic door yeah and uh we're me and erica are just like what the what the fuck is this and uh then like another five minutes later he comes back and unlocks the door and a couple minutes after that comes wandering out and uh, I'm like, hey, buddy, what the fuck happened? And he's just like, he just kind of slurs his speech. And he just goes, I can't go back in there for a while. <laughs> Jesus, dude. And uh, that was like New Year's Eve when I was like 20. <laughs> it's just that, it, yeah, like, it's such a weird time. Yeah, that was so that was like 2005 or 2006. Just off and that time. was right around the time where all the shit was going down with Olga. And so you had, like, two years later, after all this Olga shit goes down, and, like, 34,000 tabs get taken off Olga, in comes PowerTab Archive, 2008. Mm -hmm. PowerTab Archive made a deal with the MPA. And so anything that they made, money went to the MPA. See, that's how... That's how... I think that's, that's how we kind of... And you can draw a line from that to, like, how we got to spotify taking a big cut you know what i mean like there's they played ball with these industry people and they kind of made a deal and i mean it's kind of making a deal with the devil it is because the mpa i mean one of their things was like oh yeah if you view view 
View these illegal tabs. Illegal again. Illegal tabs. Fucking heavy quotations. Yeah, big air fucking quotes on that one. Big mommy milker quotations. If you view the illegal tabs online, it's just like stealing sheet music from a local store. Are you fucking kidding me with this? Like, there's just there's a limit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the 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 aughts were such a weird time for corporate greed like just like the pettiness i mean i guess it hasn't changed but no there was a lot of like shock of just like yeah. can can they really just openly be that shitty well metallica suing napster followed uh, shortly after you know what i mean like there was there was a lot of concern about digital rights and and the performers having uh, some kind of control over that yeah and I would say Napster is another example of like something that you could trace to like now why we have the Spotify problem that we have. Because like I said earlier, I was in a couple bands and then we, our music's still on Spotify and I get a check every quarter from our distributor. And you know how much I've made over the course of the past 12 years having music on Spotify? Maybe 10 bucks. $26.31. Amazing. <clears throat> and what's fucked up about that is I have friends and acquaintances that are established musicians they have toured the world they own their own masters right. and stuff like that and they've been a recording artists of some note for geez last 20 plus years right and they're like yeah spotify spotify is so terrible but it's also the only way i can i can survive and like take care of myself or take care of my family and it's like really weird to think that like an indie rap artist in like 2003 could release a record and expect to get you know a decent salary back from that release like 20 or 30 grand yeah. um in profit um after all is said and done per release like that's fucking insane because now it's like if you i see a lot of musicians who are incredibly talented that it's like geez you know well if i if my patreon numbers are still good right and all that like maybe i'll break even on this record this year and then next year maybe i'll make a couple grand off of it like it's just so dismal how we treat um creative individuals right now in the digital landscape yeah i mean dave lowry of cracker has been a huge artist advocate in that regard he put out a big statement he, was, he, he would publish these these statements how many plays he got and how much money he got. <clears throat> well, the big moneymaker for him is still tra a terrestrial and satellite radio. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I get like X amount of plays on, on Sirius. And that got me, a, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. He yeah. goes, but that same amount of plays on Spotify got me about two grand. He's like, that's a million plays. He's yeah. Like, that does nothing. There was a, a guy who was a songwriter. I forget who he was i'm sorry so this is not gonna be the greatest story as far as like tangential facts but i'm kind of the same line of this is a guy he wrote all these hit songs co-wrote did performances mm -hmm. and he was talking about one song in particular he's like when this was first released this song bought me a house mm -hmm. but now you know 10 20 years later it still gets millions of plays on pandora like a month but you know how much i get out of it is like two grand Stuff like that, like taking Olga and getting in bed with power tabs and just... It, it's endemic of just how fucked the music industry is. And I think that's a whole... 
It's a whole other thing. Yeah. And uh, there's uh, another fellow, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he is the former drummer for Galaxy 500. Mm. Uh, I think he is known as Dada Drummer on Twitter. <laughs> and he... Uh, he is also another person that likes to go to bat about how awful Spotify and all the other major streaming services basically are. Um, so he has a sub stack, I think, and you should go read that when you're done listening to us yammer about. Yeah, Dada us. Drummer. That's a good That's a good way to, to kind of make our way into the next bit. Um, oh, no. What what unspeakable horrors do you have for us today, Jason? Today we're going to revisit yet another classic. Uh, the last... What was the last one we did? What did we do last week? I don't even remember. It was like dudes... It was like a... a it was a fake website. Oh, yes. Uh, Glory Hole Consulting. Jeez. Yeah, so that was, that was some more of a trick site. They're trying to trick you into watching gay porn. This one is... Uh, oh, no. How yeah. terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Tell me oh, what I... links to avoid. <laughs> Link it here so I can not click on it. <laughs> this one is uh, is a bit of a classic. We actually, I believe, mentioned it in a previous episode. We're going to be talking today about Meat Spin. Gosh, a uh, classic. A class, A stone-cold classic from back in the day. Gosh, well, it, it's, it was, I think, probably like the first like shock animated GIF. Mm, probably. Uh, the, or at least the one that I can think of. Like, Meat Spin. Meat Spin was everywhere. And it yeah. wasn't... You know, you'd think... Well, describe what Meat Spin is. So, Meat Spin... If you're a fan of Tan Lines, first of all. Gonna love it. Gonna love it. If you're gonna a fan love. of the band Dead or Alive song, You Spin Me Round, you're gonna love it. <laughs> I forgot about that part. So, um, a clip of a bit of trans porn called TS Bitches. Yes. Starring Christina Blanchini. I don't know if you're familiar with her oeuvre, but uh, <laughs> this was actually... One of the first uses of You're the Man Now Dog, yeah, which will be the subject of a future episode, You're the Man Now Dog is, just in brief, a site where you would select a GIF, select a song, and then the background would be tiled with the GIF repeating. The song would play on a loop. Mm-hmm. And any other code that you wanted to put in, like uh, text or whatever, would be displayed. You put like a counter in there. I think one of the... I don't know if it was the You're the Man Now dog version of meat spin that had one but there was one that i remember specifically that had cower that went up every single time mm-hmm. the the gyrating psa full uh circular motion and there was kind of like a thing with me and some of my friends trying to see how many we could get to before not even get disgusted just got bored bored yeah we mentioned dead or alive now, that was not the original music associated with Meat Spin. No. On the You Are the Man Now Dog page, it was a 3 6 Mafia song, Riding Spinners. <laughs> so. Oh. <laughs> uh, so. Simpler times, Jason. Simpler times. Simpler times. And so, uh, about, about a year later, the single serving site MeatSpin.com came up, and that is where Dead or Lives You Spin Me Right Round came into the picture. Honestly. 
Got to say, I like the Ride and Spin as version better, but that's because I'm a 3.6 fan. You know, uh, of get, course. I get uh, a drink and scissor up in my ride. and We're Midwest boys. Indeed. Uh, getting slizzard. Um, what's the other? Oh, God. 3.6 Mafia. Interesting fact. 3.6 Mafia has a Academy Award. Oh, yeah, for uh, that movie. For Hustle and Flow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more Academy Awards than Leonardo DiCaprio. So, But granted, he's fucked more 25-year-olds, so what do we know? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, at one point, I'm afraid that the sky will just be 95% Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> face. He's just getting it's really... nightmare. Wire baby. <laughs> So, uh, a couple of years after Billy Quizboy looking ass face, uh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, okay, right now, he, I really think casting him in The Departed with Jack Nicholson was a stroke of genius on Scorsese's part because he really is becoming the bloated mid period Nicholson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the uh, just look, the way he even does the Nicholson smile in some photos. Mm-hmm. You go, damn, that really is, I mean, it's it's like he came out of a clone vat or something. So, after the single-serving site came out, the site itself, the domain name, got sold on eBay. Guess how much it made, Brian? How much? $2,100. No way. $2,100 for the meatspin.com domain name. Back in 2008. Oh, sorry, 2006. Excuse me. Right after... Meatspin itself kind of kicked off a genre on YouTube. Oh. The reaction video. God. Yeah. It really all comes back to Meatspin. It kind of does. That's well, because, amazing. you know, you're the man now, dog, which, again, we'll talk about in the future. The but... mid-aughts was probably, like, up there with, like, Fiat and E-Bomb's <laughs> world. Or, not Fiat, but something awful in E-Bomb's world is, like, probably in FARC as one of the biggest internet culture producers. What's interesting is that something awful was late to the game on meat spin they actually only featured it two years after it came out so it was an awful link of the day after the domain name got sold on ebay so i find that interesting Amazing. the meat spin network the meat spin the network me- the Brian. Me- <laughs> <laughs> folks 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 come on down and take a look at the meat spin web hurry, ring hurry 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 it's got a fucking mini of the south parks <laughs> south park theme <laughs> Primus would have loved to do a Meat Spin theme. You kidding me? I feel like I would rather look at Meat Spin than listen to Primus. <laughs> Come on. So the Meat Spin Network was another um, kind of like your rotten, kind of like your ogreish. It was a network of other shock sites. So they decided they were going to monetize this Meat Spin thing. Yeah. And yet... No money has gone to the original performers of T.S. Bitches. Hmm. See, hmm. again, we just see how the internet d- disappoints us. We yeah. see it in the way that is provocative and interesting, but trans women just aren't never going to be fully respected on the internet, are no. they? No. N- n- never have, never will. I, and that's just a sad fact. That's not my opinion. I'm just saying <laughs> just saying, based on historical precedent and what I, even just what I've been seeing I, this I, week. I have become of the opinion lately... That, like, all sex workers and trans people should, like, be given the gun. I'm not even sure if they... not. They, they gotta find the ammo. One bullet. One bullet. One bullet. But, like, uh, they should just be given the gun. Like, just, like, a six-hour or something. Or, like, an old AK-47. 
Because, like, the world just doesn't seem to want to play ball, no pun intended. <laughs> I think they should just take what's theirs by force. You know, John Lennon uh, once said that a woman is the N-word of the world. Well, I thought I it think- was the Irish. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> well, the fucking queen's dead. Who gives a shit? Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, Lennon said that woman is the N-word of the world, and I think these days that could be replaced with trans women are the N-word of the world. You know, honestly... Is is that Jake Flores? Yeah, it is. Why is Jake Flores in this article? It's actually not. Uh, Don't be fooled, folks. No, this was actually... It's another guy who has a beard that... So th- has an almond-shaped head. So this is the, 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 the end of our meat spin story. So 2013. Jake Flores. No. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, uh, okay, I'll be, I'll be good. That's, that's what, libel slander? Which one is that? we got to call Popat. So no, this guy, Benjamin Blown, a computer engineering student at uh, Florida State University, hacked the school's wireless network to redirect all Internet users to meat spin. Beautiful. He was suspended, arrested on third-degree charge of offenses against computer users, which is the most vague bullshit I have ever heard in the history of things that I've just heard. It's just like uh, looking... It's like he was arrested for uh, not giving a dog its due respect. For not bowing to the fucking queen. Fuck the queen! She's dead! Fuck her! Anyway, sorry. (laughs) But so, yeah, that's meat spin, folks. Are we ready for the breath mint? We are... The breath mint this week is something that's also a little odd, a little transgressive, a little strange. It's a movie we've actually both seen that we wanted to talk about so much that we brought it up in the early part of the show. That's right, folks. Nope. Nope. Jordan Peele's epic Jordan cowboy. Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson's epic. <laughs> is an expression of the chaotic feminine. And Arf. how it... Folks. And how it destroys the generational family. There was a horse out in California, and he got eaten by a cloud. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I wept. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jordan Peele. <laughs> I think I like Jordan Peterson's <laughs> Peterson's nose. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we all know who Jordan Peele is. Jordan Peele, uh, Get Out and Us. Both pretty allegorical movies in their own right, right? They had a lot of heavy-handed symbolism and, 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 and maybe enjoyable not, heavy-handed and, symbolism. Yeah, it's not which I think bad. is important. Yeah, it's an important distinction because I think uh, there's a lot of movies that have heavy-handed symbolism that just straight up fucking suck shit. Mm. But Jordan Peele did it in the way that felt clever and interesting and inspired and not unnecessary. Yeah, and I always felt like. Us people were like, "Oh, what the hell is us about?" Like, well, that's pretty fucking easy. It's about the experience of being black in America. What the hell are you talking about? It's right there on the. It's it's on. It's in the film. Yeah, yeah. And they had that same reaction when watching Nope. And for those of you who want to go in spoiler free, I suggest you skip this next bit because we probably will be sure. spoiling the living shit out of Nope. Um, so Nope is a movie that concerns a brother and a sister team that inherit their father's farm which where they raise horses to put in movies yes and so right off the bat it's a movie about movies so it's a movie about spectacle it's a movie about 
you know, black history in film. It's a movie yeah. about all of that. And it's right there. It's black and white, literally. And it's also spelled out by Kiki Palmer in the opening moments of the movie. She actually goes, okay, well, you know, there was um, the, the, the first filmed image was a moving picture of a black man on a horse. Ever since movies have started, we've had skin in the game, she says. Yes. So right off the bat, no holds barred. You know, Peel's going to hit you with this is what this movie's about. I kept seeing reviews saying that it's confusing or it's obtuse. And I'm like, what fucking movie are you watching? <laughs> We're not watching the same movie. This movie is fairly obvious with what it wants you to think. Actually, the opening moments of the movie are a little bit obscure until you get later into the film that opens with uh, the Gordy's, uh, Gordy's attack on the family, a chimp who is in a sitcom goes berserk during a filming and kills. He goes bananas? Yeah. <laughs> the look on his face, you should have seen it. <laughs> he knew exactly what was coming, and he knew just where to hit me with it, too. Um, but yeah, you're I told right. you. I told you I get one good riff per episode, <laughs> and it makes up for everything else I say or do. So yeah, Gordy... Uh, Gord, that's what... You know what the movie should have been called? Gordy Goes Bananas. Anyway... <laughs> Chimps a poppin'? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) So the siblings come to discover that something weird is happening on their ranch, and very much like M. Night Shyamalan's signs... Shyamalan? Shyamalan. I say it wrong all the time. I will never get it right, and he will have to sue me uh, in order to to get me to stop. So much like that movie Signs, starring uh, penitent racist Mel Gibson... You know what? I still think Signs is a good movie. Signs is a great movie. I think it's probably his best movie. I prefer Unbreakable just because I like Bruce Willis more than like Mel Gibson, but that's a matter of personal preference. Sure. So much like Signs, there's a lot of nighttime scenes. There's a lot of stuff where it's not really clear what's happening. There's a lot of mysteries, a lot of moodiness. But then it becomes very clear that what's happening is, well, there's a fucking alien. Yeah. <laughs> it's a UFO at the ranch, and it's stealing it's horses. It's an evil sombrero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the it's way, the- and the way that we explore this, this interloper mm-hmm. that has focused on this black family and their farm, their business, their livelihood for generations, as it seems, is uh, almost perverse. Yeah. Like the way that. Uh, media and Hollywood and all forms of spectacle seem to treat blackness, uh, particularly within those industry, within the industry of entertainment, as uh, like a novelty in in a way that's like cel- in a way that is kind of a celebration, but is also very vampiric. Yeah, and um, I mean, how many things culturally? I mean, how many things musically, electronic music, dance music? How much of that is Elvis? St- yeah, all of that comes from. I mean, I mean, so much of American culture is comes from black folk or minorities, and we it's it's hidden for. I mean, most of most of the last like fifty years has been hidden in one way or another. It's like the Nixon tapes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's well, what like, really what really uh, didn't know what was going on until Henry Kissinger wiretapped himself. So what really got me was somebody had brought up. And this was an interesting uh, thing that they had kind of brought up. And they brought up, I think it was actually Tom Hanks. He said, I had never heard about the Tulsa race riots until I watched the TV series Watchmen. Which is bizarre because even my dumbass knew about that. I didn't. 
This was but, never this was never a thing that was taught. Oh no, like Black Wall Street. Like it, I mean, I didn't know about that until I mean, I'll admit, like Ferguson and like learning a lot about fairly racing. recent. Yeah, but that's that's the way I think that you have to kind of view Nope in that lens and in, in, in that, sure. the hidden history. And so, what's happening on this ranch is just another example of that hidden history happening all over again and i think that's what's interesting about it like they can't even like leave the house no and they they even go out they go out and they get security cameras they need to have uh, what uh, kiki palmer's character calls an oprah shot Mm -hmm. a a, a indisputable proof that this thing is happening to them right because otherwise people Ooh, yeah Yeah. i mean like i kind of was able to pick up on this but i hadn't had time to really meditate on it and I'm like, yeah, like it's like that black coworker that tells you that guy that in the other department's really racist, and like they spin, and you're like, huh, really? He seems okay, and then like becomes like that coworker's mission to be like, yeah, actually, that guy that works in accounting is just a huge bigot, and then one day you're just like, oh shit, yeah, because the, because at, at a certain point there becomes enough evidence to where it's undeniable, and right. that's what the two that's what the two siblings are doing throughout the entirety of Nope is trying to get that proof. Also to drum up business for the family farm, but that's sure. that's kind of a side. It's almost like an aside because they want to be believed. They want to be believed, but also it's the desire to make a spectacle out of their own circumstances, which is way Jordan Peele is putting it is necessarily through the lens of being black or or African American or non white. Um, but I think just like people in general, like particularly now, I think it's also in, I could see in, in one way a commentary on just how we treat our own experiences pictures or it didn't happen sure or this terrible thing's happening to me i wonder if i can make a buck out of it yeah so i mean you've almost got two sides of the story kind of playing against each other while the story's unfolding you want to be able to make something of this bizarre shit that's happening but you also want to be able to prove that it actually is happening so that people believe you and take you seriously yeah so that's like what they're chasing the whole movie and it's fantastic it's gorgeous. Uh, most of the sky is just completely digital, but you'd never know it. It's really well done work. Uh, everything's a plate. Everything that's not an actor in the frame is a fucking plate, and it's insane to me. The it level is, of detail. It is uh, aesthetically, I think, one of the most interesting films I've seen in a while. Um, it is, I would say, it's right up there with Elvis as a movie. I don't know if Elvis is a good movie, but I would... Have you seen it? It's a Baz Luhrmann movie. It's That's a Baz Luhrmann movie, it. but it is... I think what it shares in common with Elvis is that it is a movie that is incredibly interesting at a time when movies seem to not be interesting. Like, well, I don't I, I don't know if there's too many new release movies in the last couple of years. I'm like, where I'm like, yeah, that was a good movie. Was it like something I hadn't seen before? Was it provocative and stimulating in a way that I hadn't experienced in a long time? Or was it the first time? I think with Nope, it was like, it kind of necessarily kept you guessing, but it made you wonder what the next layer would be. Yeah. Because the story unfolds in a fairly conventional way. There's no, you know, they're not pulling any, early Nolan time tricks. They're not doing any, uh, they're not pulling any Lynchian nightmare stuff. There's not, there's not a dream or whatever. So it's not complicated in that way. It's, it's straightforward. 
It tells its story in a very clean and concise manner, point A to point B. Hey, great, love it. I think it's challenging not in any of those ways, but in the way that the main characters, they're established characters before we meet them. Yeah. And so they exist before this movie starts. Right. And I think what challenges some people when they're watching it, and it certainly got me in the first couple of minutes, is they've just gone through a personal tragedy. Their dad has died in mysterious circumstances. And so they're dealing with the aftermath of this. Losing we, their patriarch in a bizarre way. And, and we barely got to know them before this happened. So we don't know what they were like before. We can only infer from dialogue that he's not acting like himself or that she's acting different or whatever. And so because we're entering this in medias res, as we like to do in movies, and we don't have a 20-minute opening with the happy family farm, some people may have gotten caught off guard by that. I don't. That doesn't bother me. That's you know, c- Characters exist on their own, of their own, in kind of a, a liminal state until we meet them anyway. To me, that's just how film works, but... Some people want this whole pat. Um, they want their hands held. And I think yeah. that's what's really nice about Nope is that it doesn't. Doesn't bother. And it, the, the, there was so many reviews that I read about Nope. Some of them were very, very wrong on this movie. <laughs> Just going to flat out say it. Um, I feel like I would probably have to watch it a second time. Because there was a couple things like, well, also it was the end of a very long day for me. Oh, yeah. But... um I feel like to kind of have certain things resonate, I would have to watch a second time. But I kind of like, I read a review or two and kind of read like an explainer article. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this all makes sense. Um, oh, explainers. Sometimes sometimes you just kind of need to, to, to be like, okay, was this about that? Like, oh, okay, it was. This person agrees that this certain element is representational of X, Y, or Z. You know, it's kind of just getting your confirmation bias sometimes. And, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. Not everyone's critical thinking skills uh, go forever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, okay, this is going to be just a little side piece here. But, like, uh, explainer culture or, or, or wikifying everything. It's like, not everything has to be explained. No. Sit with a movie. Enjoy it. Go and have your own biases confirmed or not in the course of the film. Don't go watch a 30-minute guy talking on YouTube with his fun Coke Pops in the background telling you how much uh, you know, how much it means that Red Sparrow the is The Funko Pops were decimated. They were decimated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly the dumbest thing ever to be said about Funko Pops. Was that BuzzFeed Benny that wrote that? It probably was. It probably yeah. Was Nope is fantastic. Yeah. Highly recommended for both of us, which is a rarity. It's a rare thing that we both have seen the same thing and can say absolutely without equivocation. Steven uh, Yoon. Oh, Yoon. He is off of Invincible coming on to this. Yes. God, he's so fucking good. Just like just a weird guy. Yeah. Like, like He's this broken child actor who witnessed an atrocity and he's trying to monetize off of another tragedy and it's just the yeah what he's doing how he's interacting with these unseen forces and he has a moment in the film and again spoilers if you haven't seen it i'm just going to go ahead and say it he has a moment in the film he's a former child star that was on the show where the chimp went nuts bananas sorry bananas bananas he was on the show the day that that happened and he saw the chimp get taken down 
a bullet to the head right in front of his face. And he's taking our other two main characters through his his uh, Wild West-themed uh, amusement park that he's put. Jupe's Claim. Jupe's Claim, that's right. Jupe is the character's name. So he's taking them through his collection of stuff about that incident. Like, he yeah. has a little museum of sorts. In alcove. But that he only lets certain people into. Like a Danish couple. And that's right. And he <laughs> almost had me. And he <laughs> My desires are unconventional. Um, so he takes them into his red room and shows them um, mementos from that day. And then he, he is in the middle of telling them about how SNL did a parody of that scene and then he got to be on that Saturday Night Live episode when we're interrupted by that very vivid flashback. And when it cuts back to Stephen Young, he's looking very far away and he, he comes back to himself for a moment. And it's perfect. Like you couldn't have cut, you couldn't have placed that flashback anywhere else but sure. at that moment. Sure. Stephen Young, mm, fantastic. Can't wait for Invincible season two. Um, he's just, I, 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 whatever he does next. I'm he's a be, talented actor. He's yeah. a talented voice actor. Like he's, he, he's got the goods as they say. Yeah, no, he's, I'm, I'm always excited. He's, he was in a weird kind of mid budget horror film comedy a couple of years ago. That was about a virus or something that makes people super angry and sexual and he was like stuck in an office building full of that and you think in the last five years i would have been in the mood for it but uh, mayhem yes yes mayhem was it was uh you know it's not the greatest movie in the world but it was definitely a fun one and he's great in it there's a oh, lot yeah. of great little performances i've been thinking about what we playing for the end of the end of the show this oh week. i'm not done with the breath oh of shit I, um, oh, sorry. I so nope i know we usually thing. talk about movies and tv and video yeah. games but i actually wanted to talk about the written word and i what i'm not going to be talking about the book of mormon but i'm actually going to be talking about the new book from the media theorist douglas rushkoff mm. it's a, a little book that became uh live on september 6th uh called survival of the fittest oh my goodness yes i don't know why i was ready to to give oh, I was up. I was like, should we go talk about this? Or have you read about this? Are you go talk about this. Um, every episode, by the way, every episode, <laughs> we're just going to do the Jay Leno. Uh, have you seen it? Have you heard about this? Have you seen it? Hey, Kevin, <laughs> have you thought about how how the the ultra rich, uh, they're so obsessed about escaping the world which they've created? Have you thought about this? Have you read about this? No, no, Jay, I have not. <laughs> it's really fucked up. <laughs> um. <laughs> But Douglas Rushkoff has written another amazing book, um, Survival of the Fittest, which starts out with a story about how he was flown out into the middle of nowhere in the desert to meet with these billionaires. You know, they're asking him questions about, like, you know, Ethereum or Bitcoin and all this stuff. But really what it comes to is, like, how are they going to survive, like, Doomsday? Spoiler alert, they're not going to. No, they're not going to. He makes the argument that they're actually probably, ironically, the biggest losers of the collapses. Probably going to happen some point in our lifetimes. Because they are the people that are the fathers of it. Um, and they have done nothing to stop it except uh, try and uh, save their own hides. And uh, they are looking to not be successful. I'm only about... 
25 30 percent at least that's what my kindle tells me into this <laughs> um but i found it really fascinating because he talks about everything from like mark zuckerberg and facebook and uh google and elon musk but also kind of talking about like uh hanging out with timothy leary and like how people like richard dawkins were actually huge fucking tools even back in the <laughs> 90s and uh, no surprise no surprise um but it's like, what do you do in a world where the future looks like it's only going to be great for a smaller and smaller amount of people every day? And even then, for those people with all their money and all their smarts and all of their grift, don't seem like they're going to be any better escaping it than us. They will be spending millions and millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to perhaps only live like you know a couple years longer than the rest of us <laughs> should you know the event happen um but i've really enjoyed it so far i think that might be uh the first book i actually complete in a long time oh, wow. uh i'm i'm a i was a big reader but having uh adult add is kind of tough when it comes to reading books audiobooks are a lot better but and i do enjoy douglas rushkoff's audiobooks performances i was perplexed one time that for one of his books program or be programmed he didn't do the audiobook for it and i asked someone like why do you think that was and their response was like well he's a little jewy <laughs> i think that's it you think that, i think the... that's it i mean but he he sounds like a, a, a jewish guy from new york that's pretty smart um but i guess maybe if you grew up in like the northeast maybe that's a voice you're kind of tired of hearing not like from an anti-semitic boy but just like i hear that guy all day yeah but I, I, for I like that. me a yokel that fell off the turnip truck <laughs> in uh in the in middle america listening to a guy that has like a strong like northeastern accent and all of the various accents in that region is kind of interesting like i remember being on a plane one time and sitting next to a guy that had like a really thick like boston accent and like he was a college professor but he kind of also talked like a sore guy that had opinions about people that should go back to where they came from <laughs> it was really weird but i just loved talking to the guy you know we had a nice conversation but like but it was like i never get to talk to a guy that sounds like a he's from boston like in midwest no. in st louis sometimes the best you get is someone that has a flat accent <laughs> and then everyone else just sounds like they are just they drink barbecue sauce instead of water so yeah, like me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, the doctor says I got to st stop drinking mall straight from the bottle if yeah. I uh, want to keep my feet. So, so Douglas Rushkoff, I, I, I only just now remember this face. We, we had to pull up his, his bio because I had to go, you know, the name sounds so familiar. I know you've talked about this book in particular in private messages and whatnot, but I, I know the name Douglas Rushkoff. And I realize now where it was, and it was the PBS documentary, The Merchants of Cool. Yes. The Merchants of Cool was really, that was my ad busters uh, heel turn moment where, sure. yeah, where, where I kind of was like, yeah, regular culture sucks. Um, so uh, it's pretty So I'm going to get arrested outside of the Montanto, Monsanto sign in Creve Corps. Where no one that works at Monsanto can see me. <laughs> God. So, 
just like an aside, like activism, like visible activism in St. Louis mm. pretty much until Ferguson was outside of some uh, like black radical stuff in the 70s um, was usually just like retired art teachers getting arrested outside the Monsanto sign on Olive and Creef Corps. And I'm going to tell you something. That sign you get arrested out. No one that works on that campus is going to see your ass. It is one of the it. Yeah. is one of the most farting in your own mouth things I've ever seen in my life, and that went on for years. Yeah. I knew one too. Uh, yeah, actually, um, the, the 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 office where um, I now work from home, but previously we had an office building out that way, and so I would you take a pellet gun and shoot the the people outside the months allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. No, I would, but I would drive by that every make every some day. macrame out of that, you hippie fuck. <laughs> Go back to underwater basket weaving class, you fucking hoosier. You fucking hoosier. Hey, 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 hey. Hey. You suck. <laughs> Guy here. Uh, Douglas Rushcup. What's the name of the book again? I'm sorry. Survival of the Richest. Survival of the Richest. Pretty much everything of his... I've read, I can recommend uh, everything from his first book, Siberia, or Siberia, I can't remember how to pronounce it. Uh, He wrote a book about coercion, I think that might be called called Coercion. Yeah, Uh, I read that. Life Inc. is Mm -hmm. a really amazing explanation of, like, just how we got to fucked up capitalism, and it goes all the way from the beginning of currency mm-hmm. to uh how people use things like the secret to find <laughs> meaning and the fact that capitalism just grinds your fucking bones in the machinery of of the markets it's it, everything he's done i can recommend the best title of one of his books throwing rocks at the google bus that Big one that one I, I i will admit I have not gone all the way through is very good. If you want to understand how um, growth at the cost of everything, particularly when it comes to late stage capitalism is probably one of the biggest contributors to what will most likely be the end of the world. Uh, it's, you know, it's a really great exp- explainer on that, but yeah, I will probably have my full book review um, in a week or two Wonderful. on Survival of the Richest, but I've been really enjoying it. And uh, I can't say I've had that experience with a book in a while. I tried to read uh, The Ministry for the Future, mm. which um, is supposed to be a great, like, near future pseudo sci fi book about uh, climate change, actually, which is wow. very, very similar to. I guess some of the things that may be uh, discussed in uh, Survival of the Richest. Mm-hmm. I think the plot and the story of the Ministry for the Future is super fucking interesting. Again, I just have fucking adult ADD, and it's really just hard for me. But I am going to try to get through that book someday in my life. I think the last book that I completed recently probably would have been... Let's see here. Um, There's a book called Severance... And it was not... Did it have anything to do with the show? It did not have anything to do with the show, actually. It came out, it came out about a full six years before the show. Huh. Um, and, and the, and the um, Ling Ma, the author of that book, Severance. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a zombie book. But it's also... It's really just about this, this second-generation Chinese immigrant character who's trying to make sense of the world in modern times after the collapse of civilization. Yeah. Um, so she lives in New York, 
only city in the world and you know the uh, the, the end Folks. of the world yeah the, the end of the world hits and she tries to go on living as normal and I think that's the most heartbreaking stuff is like well the the, the shitty apartment she's in it, it, you know the, there's no electricity so she goes to live in the office and then you know the elevator stops working in the office but she's still getting paid but she's sitting around the office like not doing anything yeah there's no job to do there's nothing to produce there's no world left to produce it for and so it's this slow motion destruction of the way that she used to live that kind of precipitates the rest of the novel really ooh i might have to check that out yeah really smartly written really terse prose i think the it's um it's really fascinating because one of the things is, is that she's a second generation chinese american mm-hmm. and one of her the the job that she kind of stumbles into is working for a publisher that creates all these different versions of the bible and so her job is to come up with the teen Bible that has like text lingo in it or the, you know, the, the, the Bible for businessmen that has, you know, whatever. And so it's this. And so Jesus was yeeted upon the cross. <laughs> Pontius had no chill for real, for real. Um, you shall be ghosted. You shall ghost me three times. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the, it's perfect. So, <laughs> so, so the the character Candace has to continually come up with a way to resell a thing that already exists that most people own, and so she has to figure out, along with the the people that she works with, how to repackage the same shit. So it's really it's on a meta textual level sure. so interesting because it's also the author re repurposing a zombie story to be about you know modern Ali. Sure. so i think it's it's fairly interesting it's about seven years old now so some of the references don't quite hit the same but uh but when it came out i mean it was shortlisted for a couple prizes it did it did some bang up business it sounds familiar and now i gotta check it out yeah that sure. sounds like sounds like something i would find entertaining i think the last thing i read I like really put my ass into when it came to reading was the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books. Mm. Um, and this was like 2017, a friend at the time, still my friend, my friend at that time, <laughs> he gave me a Kindle and uh, like, here's my account. So you have all the books I have and all this stuff. And he, uh, so yeah, I like was working like a really cushy social media job and had a lot of downtime and uh was just like just like fucking flying through those books and then i got to the last the most recent book and i was like wow this is hot dog shit this fucking sucks <laughs> it's like it's this Tyrion, uh like being like man the them septa titties right and i'm like this sucks this is really bad this is like reading like uh uh like a like a very like haughty version of like do where's my car the novelization <laughs> and like it's just like i kind of gave up yeah and uh but everything up until then i thought was really 
everything up until the last book I thought was pretty good. I'm like, oh, I can see why someone would want to make a television show sure. like prestige TV out of this. And then like you get to that last book and like, I also see why they didn't follow any of this because like, <laughs> I don't know if you could make a good TV show out of Tyrion just being like them, them titties. Like, <laughs> have you read the, have you? Uh, no, I, I, I got as far as the white walkers attack in the first book. And then I decided I had other things to do with my life. No, I decided, <laughs> I decided in lieu of, of, of Martin's work, I would go back and, and read all of Discworld, the Terry Pratchett novels. So, um, oh, that's aren't 41 you fancy? I Look am. at me. Oh, you're reading your little songs, Ice and Fire. I'm reading Discworld, you gosh damn <laughs> panty waste. Yeah, I think that about does it for the show, right? We're 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 right at the end here. We I think about I the... think we have prattled on long enough. I think so. We've had a couple of hams. <sighs> it's it's definitely beer, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to me, it's just America's so. classic premium beer, born in the land of sky blue waters. Gosh, it just it just seems like it's something. Poetry. If, you, if you saw it on the side of like a pickup truck, you would get really anxious. Brewed in true family tradition from oh, purest no. water. This, this is a beer about family values. Yep. Um, Tricked you. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, buddy. I mean, it's fine. Like, it's uh, it's definitely drinkable. It, yeah. Like, I don't know if it's really discernible from uh, Reggie Coors or yeah, like, I mean, it's High a Life. Lager. It's a lager. There, there, there's not much. There's not going to be much difference. But, you know, um, Rockwell, mm. I uh, had a date there a couple weeks ago. And I had one of their, I just like had like, I froze up and I was ordering. I'm like, I'll just try this lager. It can't mm. be bad. This is like a fucking $10 fucking pour. It better be fucking good. <laughs> and it was actually hoppy. And I forgot that lagers can actually have a flavor other than just like, what if wheat was wet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes you just want the wet wheat flavor. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe. Wet that wheat. Wet that wheat. Wet that wheat. Wet that wheat. All right, folks. So I think this is uh, where we wrap up this shit show. I am Brian, the Mini Mandingo. I'm closing this one up. This is weird. So uh, you can harass me on the internet uh, on Twitter at uh, ishotgdbor. That's G-U-Y-D-B-O-R-D. And if... For some reason, you want to look at foes I took a long time ago. My photography portfolio is assholemusicphotographer.com. I will be photographing the great Japanese band Boris this weekend. Ow, ow, ow! Uh, this is the first time I've be seeing them or photographing them in over 10 years so i'm pretty excited um so by the time this episode comes out those photos will be live on that portfolio website so please check them out and i have jason Ah. over here uh (laughs) you can send him death threats and set him up for fbi stings uh over at video crime on twitter and don't forget we have a patreon that offers nothing except for an excuse for you to throw your hard-earned money into a black hole of piss and shit and vinegar <laughs> actually uh i did i did increase for the five dollar tier we will send you a handwritten postcard uh, as a special thank you oh, that's really to sweet the, to the new uh, new signups there so that's patreon.com enjoy that um slash 48 minutes 48 minutes dogs. of dogs barking we are nope. 48 they, minutes they, they of dogs they on us, twitter they wouldn't let us have uh, barking on the on the patreon so it is just patreon.com patreon.com slash 48 minutes 
of dogs. Uh, 48 Minutes of Dogs. And it's 48 Minutes of Dogs on Twitter. Indeed. Uh, we have a phone number. That's 314 Ahoy Poo. That's right. That's 314-246-9766. One more time. 314 246 Nine seven six six. If you want to call us, leave us a message. We do have a voicemail set up there as well, and 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 you can text us if you don't feel like speaking to us at all, and that's fine. You has know, anyone texted us yet? No one has texted us yet, but I have sent out a test text to my own phone uh, where it said uh, "boo boo Venus." <laughs> 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 so I was very pleased just, that it was very very mature right there. I uh, amazing amazing. Well, you better start interacting with us on on these platforms. Yeah. Uh, our twenty listeners, or else you're sixty four. Sixty four listeners, you're dead motherfuckers. <laughs> Speaking of dead motherfuckers, our, uh, our our song to leave you with uh, this this evening is a little something from a bunch of folks who just came on my radar. It's a band called Mommy. Great tune oh. called Speedin' 72. I heard this one on the Sirius XM channel, XMU. Ooh. And it is a, it's, it's a rockin' tune. Really good stuff. It uh, it takes me back to the to the early 90s, which, of course was the only time I thought things were good. We are going to play that and let you have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful night. Eat shit and die. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Hey, hey, uh, hey, 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 hey. Bye-bye. Bye.